in to our Neighborhood Church podcast. Join us on Sunday at any of our locations. To learn more about our church, visit neighborhoodchurch.com or download our church app. Well, good morning, Neighborhood Church family. Wow. You guys sound like you're at a potluck, all this talking and anyway. Hey, Life Group. Good to see you guys. Uh, you may be confused why all the students are going upstairs with Jacob, our junior high intern, and I'm down here. Usually they stay in, but we have a junior high intern, Jacob, who's going to be taking our students through uh, the Chosen series this morning. So um, yeah, it's really great. My name is John Wyatt. For those that are new or those that are online joining us for the first time, um, I'm the pastor of student ministries here and just get the sweet privilege of hanging out with your junior high and high school students uh, regularly each week. And um, if you have a son, a daughter, granddaughter, uh, grandson, niece, nephew, neighbor kid, and you want them to get involved in a youth group on Tuesday nights from eight, or excuse me, from seven to 8.30, we have a youth group here in the Cypress Campus Gym. And um, we love helping students connect with their creator, connect with his church and their leaders, and then also connecting with one another. And it's a super sweet time. We also have Sunday school at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings um, that they can be a part of upstairs uh, as well. So um, with that, last uh, week, Pastor Mike mentioned that we went on a senior retreat. Uh, we took our seniors up to Lake Arrowhead for an intentional week of discipleship. Wayne and Debbie Alves came, uh, our senior leaders came, and we were able to go up to Lake Arrowhead and just be very intentional uh, with our students, discipling them. And it was a real treat because, you know, we were up there and I got to ask them, hey, what what's coming to mind? What are you thinking about as you get closer and closer to graduating in May? Which parents, I don't mean to scare you, but yeah, May's coming. Um, and so our students were sharing, you know, they were, we were listening to the Lord, we were listening to his word, we're listening to each other. And, you know, they, we were asking, what does it look like to entrust those areas of our lives to Jesus that we're scared in, that we're unsure of, that we're overwhelmed by? that seemed to be out of control for us. Um, it was an incredible weekend just to listen to one another and to see God working in our students. And it's cool because I've been really looking forward to being with you this morning since I found out that I would be uh, teaching uh, with you. And I think the reason being is that I really believe that today's passage is one that can strengthen our relationship with God. And it, and it can actually help us follow Jesus together. Today's passage is one that can help us see Jesus more clearly and surrender to him more openly as he leads us in our lives. And sometimes in our lives, we get led into the most unwanted and unanticipated and the unexpected moments when we walk with him. This morning in Mark's gospel, we're going to see how Jesus was inviting his disciples to see him for who he really was and to reorient their lives around what he was doing and where he was going. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning and you're sitting next to someone else who's a follower of Jesus this morning, then you've already started following Jesus together. Good job. You know, you've made it here. So let's let Jesus take the lead this morning. As we listen to his words, allow Jesus to lead you wherever he wants uh, this morning. Because he's the good shepherd who tells us that he knows his sheep and he knows what we need. He's the savior of the world who knows deep down exactly what we most crave, and what we most need. So no matter where you're living at right now, no matter if it's good, if it's bad, if it's epic, if it's ugly, if it's unexplainable, Jesus has you here right now. And he wants to speak to you. He wants to free you. He wants to save you. So would you pray with me? 
And I'd invite you right now in prayer to take your hands and make a fist like you're holding on to a bag, like a bag of groceries. And in this fist, it's going to represent all of those things that you're carrying right now. Family, finances, friends, worry, work, sin, health, the unknown. You're just holding them. And I want you to imagine Jesus is sitting right next to you right now. And then without using your words, I just want you to open your hands and show the Lord Jesus what you carried into church this morning. You don't have to explain yourself, but just show him. Just let him see it. Lord Jesus, I thank you for being our good shepherd who knows our name, who knows exactly where we are and exactly what we need. And so, Lord, this morning, including myself, we entrust these things to you that are in our lives that are weighing us down right now. We ask you for your safekeeping and ask you to watch over them as we direct our eyes to see you and our ears to hear from you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please open to the book of Mark, chapter 8. Mark, chapter 8. Pastor Mike did the first part of Mark 8, and we're gonna, this morning we're going to spend uh, the rest of our time in Mark, uh, chapter 8. And just to set the scene here, Jesus has just come out of feeding 4,000 people. Uh, the religious leaders of the day are nitpicking about how Jesus is caring for the most vulnerable, and they're trying every chance they get, right, the Pharisees, to corner Jesus into displaying some huge public statement about God, like performing a miracle of their choosing or saying something that goes against their way of worshiping God. Meanwhile, also in the context right before him, if you're the disciples, you're really hanging on for dear life to Jesus's robe because they're really trying to figure out who exactly is this rabbi? Who is this teacher? Who is this one that seems to know how to heal everyone of everything? He's banishing demons into pigs and throwing them off the side of a mountain. Um, he's healing God's children. He's pulling bread and fish out of heaven for over 4,000 people. And he's such a master teacher that just when you think you've got it, you realize he got you and whatever you thought it was, it's not that. So Jesus keeps coming. But Jesus seems to know exactly what people need, no matter where they are, no matter what they're living with, and no matter their religious background, Jesus knows God's heart for all of humanity and every single person that he meets along the way. And here, the disciples have literally just got off the boat and Jesus asked them in Mark 8, 21, do you not yet understand, guys? And this is the context that we pick up now in Mark. And now Jesus is going to intentionally move his, his direction towards his disciples because he's wanting them to reorient and he's wanting to reeducate their vision of who he is. Jesus now begins to address the deep-held beliefs and the deep-held plans that the disciples had for Jesus as they've been going. Jesus is now going to help them see and surrender to his plan, his vision, and his goal for their lives as they sought to follow Jesus together. So look with me in Mark 8, starting in verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida. 
And some people brought to him a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out to the village, led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, Jesus said, do you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I see men, but they're, they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. You see, when it comes to following Jesus together, it's just really helpful to know it's a process. Seeing more and more of Jesus and surrendering more and more of our lives to him happens over time. And because it's a process, we're allowed to be in process with Jesus. And we can process with him what we think we see him doing in our life. In the same way that this was a process for the blind man to go from darkness to eventual clarity, it's also a process for Jesus' disciples here in Mark 8. Notice the tenderness of Jesus leading this blind man by the hand. Also notice the unusual way of Jesus spitting in his face to heal him. Now that's unusual and disgusting and, you know, must not have been wearing a face mask, but you know, whatever. Like he, it's a very unusual way for Jesus to go about it to us. But for Jesus, he knew exactly the process he was taking this man through to help him see him. And Jesus checks in with the man and he asks him, do you see anything at all? Again, it's so helpful to hear that as we follow Jesus together, it is a process and we don't have to be perfect in it because processes take time. Growth takes time. For fruit to bear, we have to pray for rain and wait for rain, and then it takes time. And while Jesus asked his disciples, don't you guys get it yet? Notice that he didn't kick them out of the boat. He didn't say, stop following me. He didn't say, pull yourself together, and then when you understand and see me clearly, then I can use you, and then you can follow me. Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say you're too broken, you're too far gone, you're not getting it, so I'm out of here. That's not Jesus. Jesus stuck with this man until he could see clearly, no matter what the obstacles were in this man's life. Jesus has the power, he has the presence, and he has the patience to stay with us until we see him clearly. Jesus doesn't abandon us when we see things that are overgrown and out of focus like men walking around like trees. Which brings us to our next point, which is not only is following Jesus a process, it's also a, per it's a personal one. As we follow Jesus together, it's a journey of bringing more and more of our hearts to him over time. Following Jesus is not a question of which church do you go to. It's not a question of what stance do you have or what stance do you not have. It's not about being on the right side of public opinion or even public religious opinion. But following Jesus is rather one of, have we decided to follow Jesus? If none were to go with us, would we still follow Jesus? Look with me at verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who, who are people saying that I am these days? And he told him, they told him, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah and others one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, well, you're the Christ. And Jesus strictly charged him to tell no one about him. 
You see, up until this point, Jesus has been on the move and many of his movements seem to echo back to the way that God had delivered and saved his people in the past through prophets like Moses and Elijah and the judges, as Jocelyn was telling us this morning. And as Jesus healed people of their, not only their sicknesses, but also their sins, and as Jesus fed not only their bellies, but he fed their souls, their word began to spread and people began to think, this man is doing miracles that only God can do. And now Jesus is going and he's asking his disciples for kind of a poll, kind of a temperature gauge of the people's hearts. But Jesus, the one who had chosen these disciples to follow him, had brought them on the boat, had included them in his miracles. Now he brings the question home to them. But who do you guys say that I am? Who am I to you after all of these miles that we've walked together? You see, in our lives, Jesus comes to us and he asks the same question. Who am I to you? And if you're here for the first time today or you haven't been to church in a while, Jesus still comes this morning to you and says, who am I to you? And maybe you, if you're honest, you're like, I'm not really a follower of Jesus. I, I think maybe God exists. And maybe you're here and you're like, I'm, I'm an atheist. And you're like, I don't think God exists. That's okay. Jesus still comes up and says, who am I to you? You see, Jesus makes his relationship with us personal because he longs to his home in our hearts. He wants to focus our life on his and give us the freedom and the hope and the joy that comes with being known by God and loved by God. I love how 1 Peter 3.9 sums this up so well when 1 Peter 3.9 says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but God is patient towards you. He doesn't wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus is patient. He's kind. He wishes that none of us would perish, but that all would come to see him as Lord and Savior, Deliverer, the one who can actually make a difference in our life. And so if you've ever decided to follow Jesus with other people sooner or later, we're going to experience the disorientation of being a disciple of Jesus. Sooner or later, we're going to find ourselves in a room with Jesus and our expectations of what we thought this Christian life was going to be about. Once we have clarity of who Jesus is, he begins to teach us what he's all about, which is probably different and far more disorienting than we imagined. Look with me, starting in verse 31. And Jesus began to teach the disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And then after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning to his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So if you're, if you're Peter, okay, Jesus has just said, Get behind me, Satan. Now, if I'm in the room, and I know Peter is the first guy always to speak up in our small group to Jesus, and he says, Get behind me, Satan, I'd be like, Say what? Are you kidding? Jesus, what are you talking about? Is the mic? Okay. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. That seems a little intense, right? I don't think any time Pastor Mike has ever told me, get behind me, Satan, or anything like that, right? Um, what's going on here? I think if I was Peter, I would be like, Jesus, I'm just looking out for you. I'm just trying to help you. I'm just trying to ensure that you are the Christ and that you go where you want to go. 
And here's the crazy thing. The last time we heard Jesus use any kind of Satan language was when he was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And Matthew 4.10 tells us that Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. You see, up until now, Jesus has been doing two things in the gospel of Mark. He's been trying to keep his identity as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the savior of Israel. He's trying to keep it on the down low. And he's also been speaking in parables, okay? He's been trying to keep his, his identity a secret and he's been speaking in parables. And parables are just a veiled way of sowing seeds about God. Those that wanna hear God will hear. Those who wanna hear from God will hear and they will see. And the reason for silencing people when they were healed, like this blind man or the disciples, is because everybody in the crowd, everybody in Rome, everybody in the life group had their own idea of what the Christ was going to do when he came. Jesus knew that for his own disciples, he was needing to be the one who was in charge of where he was going and when he was going to work. However, Peter right here shows us what the people had in mind for what their Messiah was going to do. Jesus wasn't supposed to be a Christ who suffered and died. If anything, he was supposed to be the Messiah who made other people suffer and die. Look with me at Malachi 4, 1 through 5. I mean, this, think about this. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant, all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for those of you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will come with healing in its wings and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. And on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statues and the rules that I've commanded to him. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're Moses. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're a prophet. Peter had grown up hearing these stories and these prophecies about the day when Messiah was gonna roll into town. And during Peter's lifetime, there had been many more that had come claiming to be Messiah only to be snuffed out by Rome. So now that Jesus is no longer speaking in parables, but he's plainly speaking to his disciples, that's new. Peter is beside himself. And so he pulls Jesus aside. He pulls Jesus beside him and he begins to rebuke him. In fact, in the Greek, this idea of Peter rebuking Jesus is is the idea of warning to prevent something from going wrong. Jesus, this is not the way. Jesus, this is not God, what God had planned. And then we see Jesus rebuke Peter. But here's the thing. You and I have the complete Bible. We're sitting in 2022. This is taking place in probably 30 AD, 33 AD. There's something that we all know here as followers of Jesus today that Peter and the disciples couldn't see then. It was that Jesus was not gonna be a crushing and conquering king of their great expectations. Jesus wasn't gonna be a world smashing Thanos of their expectations, but rather he was gonna build his kingdom as a crucified and risen king. It's not that the disciples didn't wanna see Jesus. Now the Pharisees, they didn't wanna see Jesus. The disciples on the other hand, couldn't fully see Jesus because the cross and the resurrection had not happened yet. And that's what was gonna be on the resume of the coming Christ. 
So the healing of the blind man at the very beginning of our passage serves as a living parable to the disciples that while they may have an overgrown vision of what Messiah is, right? Like men walking around like trees, they needed the second touch of Jesus to see clearly. Jesus wanted his disciples to reorient their lives around him and not have them ask him to reorient his life around them. Jesus was trying to get through to Peter and his disciples by asking them, do you want me or do you want your idea of me? Do you want my vision of your life or do you want your own vision of your life? Jesus is saying that to follow me, you have to surrender what you thought and pick up what you've got and follow me so that I can save you. I can redeem you. I can grow your life. And where Jesus was going was truly unexpected for the disciples. How Jesus was gonna build his kingdom on earth was going to be made of wood from a cross and stone from a grave. Jesus said that if you're wanting to follow me, the one who's going to suffer and rise again, then you must follow me in some of the most unexpected ways. Look with me in verse 34. And calling to the crowd and to his disciples, he said, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. You see, just like the disciples that were following Jesus together in Mark 8, and for those of us following Jesus today, we all, and I, me too, we all have our ideas and our definitions and our plans of what it means to follow Jesus. But Jesus is wanting us to surrender back to him our plans and our ideas and our definitions. Jesus is wanting to redeem those things that we think we know about him so that he can lead us where he's going. And I have found in my own life, the longer I walk with Jesus, uh, the more and more my definitions of him seem to just dissolve as I get to know him. And that dissolving of my expectations can really be disorienting and overwhelming because I know I've found myself and maybe you've found yourself saying, I thought this relationship was actually going somewhere, Jesus. I thought my spouse and I would be pregnant by now. I thought God was calling me to this job or to this particular major, but now that I have the job, it's been more war than peace and I didn't get into that major that I was pursuing. I thought I had kicked that addiction Lord, but it's back. I thought this was going to be the last round of chemo. I thought this small group was going to be different. I've graduated and surely I should have a job by now. I thought by now I would have had my life figured out. I thought my parents loved each other, but they're getting a divorce. I thought this marriage was going to make everything better. I thought my kids wouldn't have to struggle like they are. I thought this move was going to make all the difference, but it hasn't. I thought by now God would have answered my prayers, but they still are left unanswered. I thought the more that I did life with God, the easier the Christian life was going to be, but now I'm more confused than ever. Insert your current disappointments, your current struggles, your current cross here. And so again, we're left in a room with Jesus and our expectations. And he comes to us and he says, I, I see what you're going through. And I hear your pain. And I understand more than you know, because I can see farther 
than you can. And you know what? I really can do something about this. So will you entrust it over to me? Will you let me lead you? Will you continue to follow me no matter what happens? And as we follow Jesus together, we must look through the lens of the cross and the resurrection when we're looking at Jesus and when we're looking at our own experience of the crosses that we're bearing. Because maybe in the suffering, resurrection is just around the corner. Perhaps Jesus is calling us to surrender our great expectations of how he is supposed to respond to our prayers and have us reorient our experience around him. Perhaps Jesus wants us to reorient our vision and reeducate our expectations of how we think he needs to come through for us in our life. I believe in this passage, Jesus is asking his disciples then and us today, will you still trust that I'm the Christ who is bigger than your best and most godly expectation? Can you believe that I am stronger than your fears and more powerful than you could ever imagine? Which brings us to our final scene of today's passage. Because there can be times of great clarity in our relationship with God, and we can see God who's high and he's lifted up, and we can still fail to comprehend what he's doing in our life. God is so mighty and he's so unlike us that even when we see him perfectly, it's still beyond anything that we could comprehend. Look with me at Mark 2, excuse me, Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and he led them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could even bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And of course, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, is it good for us to be here? Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say because they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and the voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And so the disciples kept the matter to themselves, but they were questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Talk about clarity, okay? Talk about finally figuring out who Jesus is. Talk about talking during the wrong time, really, right? Here, the disciples have a super clear picture of who Jesus is and all of his heavenly glory. In a momentary glorious glimpse, these lucky disciples, these three chosen disciples, are able to peek into the heavens and to behold Jesus in all of his unveiled majesty, glory, and proper exaltation that would be due to the God who made everything and everyone. And standing with Jesus was the most famous fathers of the faith in the Old Testament, Elijah and Moses, who proved that everything that Jesus had said and everything that was written before Jesus came was true. What a sight to behold. What a moment to be included in. And yet, because Peter is still in his process, he puts his foot in his mouth. Verse six says that Peter had no idea what to say to the point where God the Father says, hey, Pete, this is my son. Listen to him. It doesn't get any clearer than a voice from heaven saying who Jesus is. And as they come down from the mountain, Jesus picks up his teaching 
on that he's going to be rising from the dead pretty soon. But in order to rise again, you have to die first. And that was not part of Peter or the disciples' definition of how they thought God was supposed to work things out in their life. Because what Peter and the disciples needed wasn't more clarity. They needed to trust. It reminds me of a story of a world-renowned ethicist named John Cavanaugh who was writing Mother Teresa. And he said, Mother Teresa, I really want to come and ask you a question. And she's like, well, you can come, but you can serve with me. And so he goes to Calcutta to serve in the house of the dying. And as they're serving, he finally gets to talk to Mother Teresa. And she goes, "Uh, how can I help you? He goes, could you pray for me? She goes, sure, how can I pray for you? He goes, clarity. Pray that I have clarity. To which Mother Teresa promptly responded, no, I'm not going to pray for that. John Cavanaugh's like, I came 3,000 miles with this burning question to like figure out my life and you're telling me no? Mother Teresa, you seem to have the greatest clarity of us all. And she laughs. And she goes, no, 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 no. I've never had clarity. I've always had trust. I will pray that you trust God. I love what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can think up or imagine what God has prepared for those that love him. Jesus comes to those who follow him and he asks, do you want your clarity or do you want me? Do you want to cling to your desire for clarity or do you want to cling to me with everything that's messy inside of you? Do you want to hold on to your idea of me or hold on to me, Jesus, the Savior, right now? And here's here's an encouragement. Jesus knows what he's about. He knows where he's going and he knows who he is. Jesus invites us to go where he's going and invites us to trust God as he trusts God and invites us to follow him. So in closing from this crazy passage, we've seen that following Jesus together is beyond our comprehension. It's confusing. It's disorienting. It's personal. It's a process. But you know what? That's good to know when you're in it because the enemy wants to convince you that the Christian life shouldn't be any of those things and you're just messed up and beyond Christ's touch. Even this past weekend when we took our seniors uh, up to Lake Arrowhead and we were talking with them, all that they were processing and all that they were preparing for, after they kind of shared their hearts, myself and Wayne and Debbie and our leaders said, you know what? You guys sound, you sound, that sounds about right. For seniors in high school who are approaching graduation, you sound like you're right in the spot there. And if you've been following Jesus for a hot second or you've been following Jesus for a long time and you're thinking, man, following Jesus can be really upside down at times. And why has my experience been more hazy than it's been clear? Well, I would say to you, yeah, that sounds about right. You sound like you're exactly where you're supposed to be as someone who's trying to follow Jesus. Let's pray. And as we move into prayer, I want to ask you, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? What's an area of your life that you feel most frustrated with God in?
How have you been dealing with that frustration? If you're honest with Jesus, what are those areas of your life that you're still wanting him to take care of? What are those areas that God the Father might be calling you to let go of and surrender in order to trust him? start at our time by imagining Jesus sitting right next to us and the great thing and the reality is that he's been here the whole time. He knows your heart's desire. He knows the things you're holding and he's been with you the whole time. And now I want you to imagine that Jesus turns his head towards you. And then all of a sudden, a warm smile comes over his face as he's looking into your eyes. And he says this, Oh, my dearly loved child and frustrated disciple, there's so much you don't see, but don't let that concern you. Because there's so much I do see, and that's all that matters. I know what I'm about, because I can see my father doing it. This is a journey. I'm never going to leave you. There's so much you don't understand, but that's okay. Follow me with what's so pressing in your mind and in your world, and I will teach you about me. I love you so much, and I know what it feels like to be frustrated, but don't lose heart. Don't stop trusting me. I have everything under control, even the up and coming and the unexpected. I'm good at loving you. And I'm good at what I do, which is loving others. So be at peace, my dear child. I understand your fears and your failures and your brokenness. Because I see all things clearly. So trust me. Follow me. And I will lead you on.